Welcome to this episode of the Great Mind Series podcast, brought to you by Innoversity. Innoversity, the learning experts. Today, we're very honored to have with us Gretchen Stroud, who is the Vice President of Global Training and Development at Hilton Worldwide. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jerry. So you have quite a career. You've been in uh, learning and training and development uh, for quite a long time. Give us, give our listeners a bit of a background on who you are and, and what you've done and maybe how you landed uh, where you've landed. Yeah, thanks. So I've been working in the learning and development field for about 20 years now, although I like to think that my uh, experience in learning development goes back even further than that, because as a child, one of my favorite activities was to line up all of my stuffed animals and teach them math or how to read. So I knew from a young age that education was something that was really important to me and something that brought um, joy to my life. Uh, being able to share that with others. Did you have any success with the stuffed animals? Because that would be really impressive if you did. You know, uh, unfortunately, none of them ever learned to read, at least out loud. Okay. But I like to think that they left a little bit more educated. Fantastic. So that was clearly a passion of yours. Uh, education, where'd you go? What'd you do? How'd you, how, how did you funnel that passion? Uh, so I went through high school and I discovered a second passion, which was uh, foreign language and international relations diplomacy. Oh, wow. And so actually I uh, went to American University where I majored in French language and Western European area studies under the School of International Service. Wow. And I entered in German language and history. My father was very worried that I would never be gainfully employed after <laughs> College. Right. Those are some great <laughs> degrees, but yeah, I, I get it. Yes. Uh, he said, what do you do with a French degree? Right. I said, I don't know, but I like it and I'm going to figure it out. You're very impressive in a French uh, restaurant, though. So there's that. Indeed. Yes. My husband always asks me nowadays if we're watching a movie or a show and somebody's speaking in French. Said, what are they saying? Mm-hmm. What are they saying? Mm-hmm. He puts me on the spot all the time. Fair enough. But, uh, Yes. So uh, so I went to American University and, in fact, intended to uh, leave college and apply to the Foreign Service. Hmm. Uh, however, while I was in school, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Paris, France for a semester and interned at the U.S. Embassy there in Paris, where I discovered that although I do love all things French, including the language, Um, being in the Foreign Service did not really mesh with my personal goals Mm. uh, to also get married and have a family uh, and be the type of mom that I was hoping to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, The moving every two years, et cetera, just wasn't really something that I thought was going to work with the way I envisioned living my life. So I got out of college and uh, I had this degree and I had a few student loans and I needed to regroup. And so I was, uh, when I graduated, the job market was not particularly uh, strong, something that some of your listeners can maybe relate to in the current day and situations that they're in. Absolutely. Uh, So I remember going through the newspaper and this was a while ago. So you still went through the newspaper back then. And I was reading the Washington Post and circling all the jobs that I thought I was qualified for and were something that sounded at least remotely interesting. And I ended up 
working at McKinsey and Company for their uh, Global Institute, mm. which does economic studies uh, in different parts of the world. Right. To fascinating group. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and that was a wonderful job for about a year. But really, you know, that job was my first job out of college, and it was a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. uh, while I was working for McKinsey, I found out about this organization that was relatively new called Teach for America, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, had just launched a few years ago and was really starting to gain traction. Now, of course, Teach for America right. is very well known. Back then, um, not quite as much. And I still had that burning passion to do something related to education kind of in the back of my brain. I knew that it was still something that I wanted to do, it was something that brought me joy. And so I applied to Teach for America, and I spent the next two years teaching public school French in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, it was definitely an experience, mm -hmm. a, a good experience. Um, I got exposed to you know, a, a whole part of our country that I really had not grown up knowing much about. So I taught uh, inner city students in Washington, D.C., actually just behind Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And I think that my kids, as I called them, although I was only about three years older than some of my students, <laughs> um, my kids taught me just as much as I taught them. Mm -hmm. And it was really uh, an experience that has stuck with me through the rest of my career. Um, so, however, at some point I decided that while teaching and education was still something that brought me joy, public school teaching was maybe not... Um, exactly the right fit for me. So I started again looking around to see what else was out there. And while I was on my summer break one summer, I stumbled across a listing for a training manager working for Marriott International. And I thought, well, I don't think I'm qualified for this job, but hmm. it's always good to keep your resume updated and your interviewing skills uh, sharp. So I applied for the role and lo and behold, they were uh, crazy or smart, depending on how you look at it, enough to hire me. Wow. And I spent my next 12 years of my career in hospitality uh, doing learning and development uh, for Marriott in a variety of roles. The, the bulk of my time there, however, six years of the 12 years, I got to spend working in the international division. So I figured out a way to meld my passion right. for all things global business uh, with my passion for education. And I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. However, um, in 2011, a colleague who had since left the organization uh, reached out and said, there's a, there's a job open at Hilton and I think you'd be a great fit for the role. Hmm. I really think you should apply. And he was someone that I respected a lot and had really enjoyed working with. But to be honest, I wasn't looking to, to move, I was very comfortable right. and happy doing what I was doing. Um, but again, I went back to the well. What's the worst that can happen? I'll right. apply for the job and say no thanks. <laughs> right. um, there, there's something so I, really important in those two little stories about people keeping their resumes up to date <clears throat> and always looking for cool opportunities, even when you don't feel like maybe I'm not really qualified. Maybe you are. Absolutely, and I think that that's such an important point. Um, for all job seekers, but I will say that, you know, I work with a lot of other career women. And I think one of the things that women, we sometimes hold ourselves back because we look at a job description and think that we don't have every single qualification ticked off. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not 100% qualified, therefore I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes being brave enough to take that leap 
knowing that, you know, sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes maybe there's a candidate out there who truly is better qualified than you, but let the, right. let the hiring manager or the hiring company make that decision. Don't take yourself out of the running right. um, before you have a chance to compete. Yep. So I figured I'll go through the process. Always good to keep your, your skills sharp. And uh, I really loved the people that I met. Uh, and the role really excited me. So I did uh, move over to Hilton in a role as the director for um, for brand education, working with uh, our brands based here primarily in the Memphis office, but also in McLean. Okay. Are, um, I did that for... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. Is, is Well, you're going to get to your current role. I was just going to ask about travel. Yep. Are you still on an airplane a lot, or are you still, uh, or, or are you able to be more local? Well, so that's a great story. Um, I do travel quite a bit uh, in my role. And at one point uh, during my time here at Hilton, I actually was traveling about 85 to 90% of the time. Wow. Uh, and I have a, a son at home who's 12 now, but he was 10 then. And I knew that it just wasn't, it wasn't working for me um, in terms of how I wanted to live my personal life uh, and how I wanted to balance that with my career. And so I actually went to talk to our department SVP, who was my boss's boss at the time. And I said, you know, I love working at Hilton. I really like what I do. I understand that this is the expectation of the role that I'm in. And so I need to find something else within the company, ideally, that I can do that will allow me to have better balance between, you know, my very important role as a mom and my very important role working for Hilton. Right. And I did not ask him to solve it for me. I didn't ask him to change the job for me. I just said, you know, this is what I'm going to do in the next 12 months. I'm going to start looking for other roles that will enable me to be home with my family more. Mm -hmm. And he was wonderful. And he really, you know, he listened to what I said and he sort of took it away and thought about it for a while. But um, having the courage to stand up and say what I needed and what I was looking for in my career uh, really you know, opened a door for me mm -hmm. because Hilton was very accommodating to cutting back on the travel. Um, I do still travel. I travel maybe 40% of the time, okay. some international, mostly domestic. Um, but Hilton has been just wonderful about allowing me to find that balance. But what I realized was I had to be the one who discovered what balance meant for me. Right. And then I had to raise my hand and say it because I couldn't expect them to read my mind. Uh, but once I knew what I wanted and could articulate it, uh, they were very supportive and really um, made it possible for me to continue in my career. And in fact, it was about six months after that conversation that I got promoted to my current role, <laughs> which is uh, vice president of learning and talent for, uh, for Hilton. And I love it. Um, I just, I love what I do. What we do, as I say to my team uh, frequently, you know, we impact the careers of over 300,000 individuals, you know, on a daily basis wow. through learning opportunities we provide, through the career development conversations that we guide. I mean, really, as I say to the team, because it's their work, um, is they they're building other people's careers and not only their careers, they're building lives. Right. You know, we're right. teaching young people how to be uh, effective in, 
in a career or in a job, we're exposing them to all the possibilities that hospitality can provide as a you know, as an employer, I honestly never thought about hospitality as a career until I fell into it. Mm. But for the last 16 years, I've been working in hospitality, and I don't think that I would ever, I don't see myself ever willingly going to work in a different field because I love hospitality so much. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the learning challenges that you see at Hilton, perhaps that you've seen in other places. What what are some of the challenges? There's There, there are an enormous number of, of new technologies available. Obviously, in, in your 20 years in this industry, things online have changed significantly. What are what are some of the, the some of the challenges that you see on a day to day basis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one of our biggest challenges is the fact that you know at Hilton, we we have hotels in over a hundred countries globally, and so just from the sheer uh, global distribution and the number of languages that our team members speak, right. um, it makes it very challenging because the cost of translating, learning, and providing it in so many different languages so that we can effectively communicate with all of our various team members is it's overwhelming. Right. And so we really have had to be creative in how we uh, approach some of those challenges. So uh, some of the some of the solutions that we've used, for example, are to pursue things like wordless video. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you think even if we only did business in the United States, just to train our, our housekeeping staff, many of them you know, don't speak English as their native language. So we have people speaking Spanish, Polish, um, Chinese, Haitian Creole, and the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And so when you're trying to to provide learning opportunities for, you know, a, an audience that's that diverse, we've really had to look at how can we how can we maybe take the words out of it so that we can use the video to demonstrate what the skills are or how to clean a room effectively, right. um, and not have to translate it into seventy five languages. Well, and it's not um, just the translation language either; it's the localization and it's the it's the idioms and it's the you know, are you communicating Absolutely. clearly? We we do a lot of translation work at uh, at university, and you know, that has to start for us, as you're saying. I think long before. Okay, here's the class in English. Now let's see what else we can do with it. It right, really starts exactly. in the design phase, where you're like, wait a minute, right at the beginning, this is going to be in seven languages. It's going to be on four continents. We have to think immediately, right from the start, of how this is going to be designed. Yes. Absolutely. And to your point, even about the dialects, I mean, it's not even enough to say we're going to translate it into Spanish and then say, tick, we've got that box. Every country in the world that speaks <laughs> Spanish has sort of its own, right. you know, uh, localization of the language or right. Arabic or, you know, even uh, Chinese and some of the other Asian languages as well. So sure. it becomes <laughs> it's definitely something that cannot be done as an afterthought. Yep. Um, Yep. When we look at how we do learn. And, and honestly, yeah. when we started a number of years ago, <clears throat> that was a bit of a challenge for us. We thought, well, the simple solution is you create in English and then, and you know, that, that was great until the actual end user started using it and they were going, yes. you have no idea what you're doing, do you? And we had to say, right. you're right, we need to relearn what we're doing and we need to rethink and be much, much Absolutely. more aware of, of who you are and stop thinking about who we are. Absolutely. And I think one of the uh, lessons I learned 
several years ago, many years ago, when I first started learning about translations and, you know, doing learning in an international environment is that if you don't start with that end in mind, mm -hmm. you may come up with words in English. You know, we like to use these very creative and fun words <laughs> to describe you know, our brand personalities or things like that. But, you know, you commit it to a word and you've right. published it everywhere in English and you get to the translation and all of a sudden you find out that that word does not translate into Russian. Or it might all. be something absolutely um, horrible. <laughs> or worse that, yeah. yes, or even worse. Yeah. That's yeah. actually worse mm -hmm. than if you just can't translate it yeah. at all. And so being more deliberate about the English words that we choose um, is also part of the process. Right. So from start to finish, really keeping that global mindset of we do business with and in, you know, people from pretty much every country in the world. Um, and so how do we really make sure that we start with that end in mind? So that's one of the best. Uh, the next thing I want to ask you about is best practices. That's one of the best practices, being cognizant of the fact that the end user is the thing that matters. That is the person that matters communicating clearly yes. that they will understand. What are some of the other best practices that, that you've seen that Hilton regularly employs? Um, share with our listeners some of the, you know, are there technologies that you're looking at? Are there, are there just flat out, you know, habits that are really good? What are some of the best practices that you're seeing? Sure. I mean, I think it's such a fascinating time right now to be in the learning um, business because things are, are changing so quickly and, and I frequently tell this story to uh, to business partners here when I'm trying to talk about how we need to innovate when we think about learning. So, you know, 10 years ago, we would, for example, teach a child how to play soccer by taking them out on the soccer field and the coach would show them how to kick the ball and then the kids would kick <clears throat> the ball and, and you know, it goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. And now my 12-year-old, when he's playing soccer and he wants to improve a particular skill, he goes on everybody's favorite uh, website, YouTube, um, and watches some sort of soccer professional from somewhere in the world show him how to strike the ball or pass the ball. Right. And then he goes out and he practices it against the wall. And then he comes back in and he watches the video again. And then he goes back out and practices. And so this idea that people will spend eight hours sitting still learning something now is just, it's not the way our brains have been rewired right. to operate or to learn. And so some of the best practices that we're using are, you know, short, quick videos that team members can watch and then, you know, in two, three, five minutes right. and then go back and, and actually practice that skill live, not sit in a class for eight hours and then have to remember the next day to go back and do that skill yeah. that we want to do. We do a lot of that um, with, we do a lot of that with animations um, that are, you know, no more than two, three, four minutes long because Attention spans have changed. Um, you know, television did something to shorten our attention span to about a 14-minute block. But uh, YouTube has changed that to our attention spans about a two-and-a-half-minute block. And uh, so being being aware of that and designing things around those uh, those assumptions, are that's a, a pretty, pretty profound change for anybody in this industry. It absolutely is. And I think the other massive shift that we're seeing is the idea again you know 
several years ago was that learning or training or that team were sort of the, the holders of all knowledge, mm-hmm. just like the library used to be the repository of all knowledge. And now knowledge is at everyone's fingertips. Um, yeah. And so we've really done a lot with social collaboration sites as well, because we acknowledge that our learning team, you know, as, as wonderful as they are and as, as deep of a background as many of them have in hospitality are not the, are not the only holders of, of information right. within our organization. And so opening it up so that our team members can collaborate and share best practices, ideas, um, even, you know, knowledge on particular topics and learn from each other is really where the world is going mm-hmm. because we talk with, I talk a lot with my learning team about the fact that we are no longer uh, sages on a stage. You know, we really have become in every true sense of the word, facilitators yeah. of knowledge. Connectors, yeah. Yes. And, you know, so I think our role becomes more curator as opposed to deliverer or creator. Right. Um, and I think that that's an important shift and it's a hard shift for a lot of people who've been doing what we do for so long to make sometimes. It's hard to let go of that right. that pride in knowing all of the things. Yeah, um, our, but it's just a- our team members are instructional designers. And the first time I explain what we do, what our company does, people say, oh, well, you guys are the experts. And we usually say, absolutely not. Uh, very, very rarely are we subject matter experts. We're experts on learning trends. We're experts on how people learn, how they think, how to communicate. But on specific knowledge, the people usually the people that we're trying to teach often know far more about their subjects than we actually do. Absolutely. We have the same conversation here, which is, you know, we, we have experience in how to get what you know out of your head right. and into a format that others can learn it. But there's no way we could possibly know even every facet of the hospitality business, for example. Right. We, we just can't. Um, and that's. And the beautiful thing you know, is, you don't need to because it's 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 yeah. truly you know everywhere present. It's truly omniscient and omnipresent. Yes. And and it and it's amazing how much knowledge there is and how accessible it is. It's and again in your 20 year career, what what a tremendous tremendous shift. Absolutely. I mean, I still remember having a colleague um, way back when, uh, in the early 2000s, who was coding computer-based training CD-ROMs that would get shipped out, you know, all <laughs> over the world. Um, and how things have changed yeah. so much. Yeah. Well, I, Gretchen, I know you have a couple of projects that are really close to your heart and you're really passionate about. And I'd like you to describe those, if you would. Sure. Um, so there are a couple projects that uh, I've had the pleasure of working on here at Hilton that are particularly near and dear to me. Uh, one of them, sort of hearkening back to my time uh, doing Teach for America and as a, as a school teacher, is we've been partnering with the International Youth Foundation for a couple of years now to educate our youngest team members in certain parts of the world across Latin America, um, the Middle East and Africa, the Indian Ocean, on sort of those basic life skills that everyone needs to really have and understand in order to be successful in their career long term. So, can, can you, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but can you describe, are you talking um, <clears throat> how to be on time or are you talking basic financial management? What, what are some of the skills that, that, you're, uh, that, that you're talking about? 
Yeah, you, you just hit on two very important ones, but even things, uh, conflict management, okay. um, how to, um, how to make sure that you learn the hospitality business. So even though you may have had a rough day on your way in, you know, the bus broke down, you couldn't find your favorite shirt to wear to work, et cetera, et cetera. How do you turn that around and, and make sure that you're on and mm-hmm. in, in a positive and, you know, happy and hospitable way when you get to work. Um, but yes, even some of those more basic skills, like how to communicate effectively, how to resolve conflict, um, how to set goals for yourself, and then, you know, work to achieve those. And those are really important skills for, for everyone mm-hmm. to have. But um, one of the things that I saw when I was in education and now with my son also in school is we we don't necessarily teach those skills in school anymore. And so we get people coming out into the workplace who maybe have not had the opportunity to learn financial management, for example, and what some basic and good principles of financial management are. So we can help them with that and help them really set themselves up for long-term success. You know, hopefully that's long-term success building a career with Hilton, but even if that career success some away from us, we've done something to really help them set up their whole life. You've invested and whole in a person. You, you've invested in a person, yes. and that person may or may not be a Hilton person, but you have definitely made the world a better place. We, we see, uh, you know, one of my personal heroes is a guy named Bob Chapman who owns a huge company, um, has 10 or 12,000 employees, which is nothing compared to you guys. But uh, the, the, the core basic course that everybody takes, and this is manufacturing, it's, it's a three-day course on how to communicate. And you'd say, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You're taking 30-year-old people that have been some form of communication <laughs> for 30 years. You're telling me they don't know how to communicate. And he would say, they don't. They, they need to learn how to communicate. They need how to conflict manage. And, and they need how to learn to do basic project management skills. So I, I think what you're hitting on is, is a really holistic view of the human person, not just how to make better human machines for Hilton. That's cool. Yes, and it is. And, you know, I really, those those are the types of projects and the types of, of um, opportunities that we have to make a difference that really, to be honest, when I think about it, you, it gives me a little bit of a chill because I think how wonderful it is to be able to impact someone else's life who I probably will never meet most of the people who've mm. gone through this program face to face, unfortunately, although I'd love to. Um, but to know that something that we did you in turn made their lives better um, would be, is just really rewarding. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the other really passion projects for me right now is we're doing, you know, we do a lot of work around, um, we're doing a lot of work right now around talent diversity mm-hmm. here at Hilton. Uh, and of course we're a big global company. So that's diversity in every sense of, right. of the word. A um, hundred companies, you are a hundred countries you got, you said, right? So that's, yes. that's some pretty significant diversity. Absolutely. It is. Um, and, I have the pleasure here in our Memphis corporate office of chairing our women's team member resource group, which is something that's you know really a passion point for me. I have two younger sisters um, and I have a niece uh, and I really am passionate about women's career advancement and, and where we go from here. I myself am um, the primary breadwinner in our family and that has been, you know, my husband has been so amazingly supportive 
and really um, has just has made it possible for me to embrace my career mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted to, and I, I couldn't do it alone. Right. But I also realized that that's not an advantage that every woman has right. yet. And um, so I'm really passionate about the work that we do to help our, our young women in particular uh, seize their career and figure out how to make it all work because it doesn't just happen. I mean, you don't just, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you don't just wake up and voila, it's all worked out. Right. And you, you have you have things, you have kids, you have parents who are aging and may need you. I mean, you have all kinds of other uh, responsibilities that are part of the rest of your life right. and, and finding ways to balance that without just saying, you know, it's easier to, it's easier to give up on my dream than to try to figure out how to make it work is something that I hope I can inspire other women and younger women to, to say, you know what, I don't have to do that. I can make it all work. I'm going to have to work really hard to do it, but I can make it, I can make it work. But you, and, I mean, you are an inspiring story in the sense that you have, but it, it, the, it starts with a willingness to stand up for yourself and 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 to have that <clears throat> core basic you know ethic of courage to say wait I need to speak I need to I need to say something and uh, that's pretty cool. Thank you. It's um you know it's really something that I think I've matured into um, <laughs> through my career. I definitely it's something that I've had several female mentors along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and as I also sometimes call them uh, reverse mentors as well. So the mentors are the ones who show you how you want to do it. And the reverse mentors are the ones who show you maybe how you don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah. but really I've had some wonderful support to help. That's a really positive like, spin on some really horrible people, by the way. I like that. I like your optimism. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Reverse mentors. I'm going to yeah. use that. Reverse mentors, yes. Um, I think you know, we all have them. So yes, we do. you learn something, everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's what you want to do, and sometimes it's what you uh, don't via negativa, do. yeah. Yes, but um, but yeah, and and I will say again, I cannot, I can't overemphasize how important it is to if you're lucky enough to have you know a, a partner, or husband, spouse, etc. Um, to have someone who really is supportive of your dream as well and um, to treat it as equally important as his dream uh, and find a way to work together to make that work. And, you know, my husband and I have, <laughs> I've, I've taken a few steps off of the career path at certain times, you know, since our son has been born, as has he. And we've always mm -hmm. found a way to just communicate very openly about that and then work really hard to make it work. But I think the other thing was we both knew that the most important thing to us was being good parents right. and making sure that that responsibility came first, right. no matter what other dreams we were pursuing. Yeah, because if you mess that up, the other dreams end up being pretty hollow later on. Indeed, indeed. Well, one of the things that um, we uh, that we always do on the Great Minds podcast is I always asks uh, I, I always ask our guests for their favorite story. Tell us your favorite story, and it can be about anything you want. But we've heard some fantastic stories in the last few years, and and we'd love to hear your favorite. So I think um, kind of along the theme of uh, some of these strong female mentors that I've had throughout my career. And this is definitely a mentor, not a reverse mentor. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> when I very first started uh, my career at, at Marriott, you know, I was young. It was my first real corporate, corporate job. Um, and the, the VP of our department uh, was a woman who made it a point to meet with every new hire, you know, no matter what role. And my role was probably, I don't know, five levels down on the food chain from where she sat. Mm. But she always made it a point to meet with every new hire, just to get to know them, to talk about who they were, what they wanted to do with their careers, with their lives, and then, you know, just sort of talk about how how she could help them along the way. And you know, so we sat down and we chatted and, and she was a very personable lady. And she got to the point where we started talking about my career goals. And of course, you know, I came in with this idea, as many people do, that my career was going to be this ladder. I was going to do this manager role for a while. Mm -hmm. I'd do it really well. Then I'd get promoted to senior manager and I'd <clears> work my way straight up. Right. And she said, you know, a career is not like a ladder. A career is like rock climbing. She said, do you rock climb? I said, yes. My sister and I, you know, rock climb together. She said, well, then you know what I'm talking about. She said, when you're climbing the wall or a rock out Side, she said, sometimes you find a good path and you can go straight up. You've got the right footholds and the right handholds, and you can really, you know, go straight up for a while. But at some point, you're going to find that you can't go any further because the next step isn't there. You don't have the next mm -hmm. handhold or you can't reach the next foothold. And at that point, you have to reassess and you need to look and say, you know, if I move to the right or if I move to the left, will it catapult me you know, up to the top, which is my ultimate goal in rock climbing? Or in some cases, do I even need to take a slight step backwards in order to be able to move to the right or to the left and then find that path that's going to lead me to the top? And it just it really resonated with me um, as a young as a young person just starting out on my career. And it's something that I've thought about many times because I certainly in my career have sometimes taken voluntarily a step back. Right. Um, I've definitely made lateral moves um, to get opportunities to learn new things or to get exposure to a different part of the business. And I think of her, I think of her often and I think of that analogy often. And in fact, I use it a lot when talking to other young people just starting on their careers because I think it's just such a perfect metaphor for how we all need to approach our careers nowadays. And I think the other twist that I would add to that metaphor is if you're climbing that rock or that particular wall and it's not making you happy, then mm -hmm. find a different wall mm -hmm. or find a different rock. Um, because there is one out there that you can also climb that will, that will make you happy while you're doing it. And I think that that is really the secret of career success okay. is like to do and then do, do it well. Um, and the rest of it will come. Do you suppose she had any idea of the impact that her words had on your life? Um, I don't, I don't think so because unfortunately she, she left not that long after I started in my role. So, okay. um, you know, we never really stayed connected over the course of my career, but I often think that that 60 minutes of time <laughs> that she's, you know, has for the next 16 years has resonated right. so deeply in my own career success that I really, uh, I'm really indebted to that time that she spent. And I think about that often 
when somebody reaches out to me now and can we have lunch or coffee? Can I talk to you about, you know, my career, this or that? And of course, you know, like everyone, there are a lot of demands on my time, but I always make time for those conversations because I like to think that someday someone else will sit here and tell a story about something that I said that really helped them in their career. Yeah, so, going all the way back to when you were a little girl teaching your uh, <laughs> teaching your stuffed animals, right? I mean, that if you have an educator's heart and you you know training and development, whether you're in K twelve or higher ed, whether you're in the corporate world, and and that desire to make a difference in the life of somebody really is a is a profound and driving passion. And and uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to share your experience, to share your knowledge and uh, to share your story. So Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us today. Jerry, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and it was a pleasure talking with you and I enjoyed listening to all of your other guests. So, Oh, fantastic. Uh, I'm company. Well, they'll be, uh, yeah, they'll be excited to hear you too. Have a wonderful day and thank you very much. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to the Great Mind Series podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes and share the word with your family and friends. The Great Mind Series is brought to you today by Innoversity. Innoversity, the learning experts.